Welcome to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast, brought to you by DonorSearch, the show that takes you inside the lives of thought leaders in fundraising and philanthropy. I'm your host, Jay Frost. Lisa Wolf is a self-described accidental fundraiser whose work has taken her from major political campaigns to advancing the work of Cure International and now fueling the work of nonprofits around the country through Westfall Gold. At the heart of it all has been a focus on building successful relationships. In our conversation, she shares details on the importance of identifying and connecting with donors, helping them to understand the case, building a community of support, and her personal reflections on the concept of generosity. Tell me about yourself. Tell you about myself. Gosh, that's broad, right? Uh, you is. think about so. Um, I am one of those accidental fundraisers, like probably so many of us are. Uh, thought that back in college I was going to have this big career in marketing, uh, and then I stopped and thought about it a couple years ago and thought, well, I'm actually doing what I thought I might be doing, just in a different just in a different way, right? Trying to get donors to commit to a particular cause. So I could be, you know, getting people to buy chocolate or I could get, you know, be getting them to invest in, you know, transforming lives of, of people around the world. And so I actually am doing what I thought I would do, just not in the way that, um, that I'm doing it. But um, I, you know, I grew up in a family that, believed it was important to, to give back. And I think that that just <sighs> propelled me into this world of fundraising when I, I learned about it in college. I didn't really know it was something that you could go do full time. And so got hired by the, the annual fund office. And um, as a, you know, my work, my student work, my job, at, you know, during college and um, really loved it. So. Where, where was this? Where were you going to school? I went to Muhlenberg College in okay. Allentown. Yeah. Are you from Pennsylvania? I am. Where, whereabouts? Yes. I live in uh, central Pennsylvania, just outside Harrisburg. Oh, then and now? Are you there? Are you in Pennsylvania still? Or? I still am in Pennsylvania. I have not left Pennsylvania yet. Um, no, I grew up um, just about an hour from uh, from Harrisburg. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, deep roots in Pennsylvania are not uncommon. It's, uh, yeah. you know, people care about that place. Yeah. So you went to Muhlenberg, but the town you grew up in, what, what was that like? You, you talked about, you know, developing that sense about, I guess, giving back or being involved in the community. Where did that come from? What, what were your parents involved in that gave you that sense? Yeah, well, I grew up in a really small town called Hamburg, um, which Cabela's later put on the map by putting one of their big stores there. And that prompted a lot of growth oh, sure. in Hamburg. But um, my parents owned a uh, hardware store with my aunt and uncle, and so they were deeply engaged in the community, the Main Street community in, mm -hmm. in Hamburg. And um, there was always, I don't know that it was ever, it wasn't ever spoken, like you must go and do this, but it was modeled. And sure. so they were very engaged in the community and, um, you know, very, sitting with various organizations or being engaged with local government and things like that. So uh, I think from just them modeling that uh, to me, I just always believed that that was a really good thing that you should do, give back to your community. Do, do you remember some of the, like the earliest activities that they kind of wrangled you and I don't know if you have siblings, but others in the family into to 
be involved in, in things, whether it's community organization or what have you? Yeah. Um, well, I think not so much growing up, like getting involved in some in, in projects, but, you know, one of the things that I always remember is just my dad coming home um, from some of the local government meetings that he would be involved in and um, just listening to his stories about whether it was, uh, you know, growth happening here or what was going to happen to Main Street and um, really hearing how he would be engaged and involved and the impact that it had. So I also uh, had a diversion into politics, um, did political fundraising for uh, Tom Ridge, who was running for governor at the time and then became the the first Homeland Security uh, secretary. And um, so I think, you know, that memory stands out in my mind, that civic involvement. And then I think that probably prompted me to, to get involved uh, in, in politics. And of course, then I gravitated toward fundraising in politics. And so, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. That, um, the difference between political fundraising and nonprofit fundraising, some of those seem pretty profound. Others are not. But so what was that like for you to go from one to the other? And what are the biggest differences that you've you've seen yeah so and similarities right well so you know what i do now um what we do at westfall gold is really all about um helping organizations identify their major donors and building a sense of community among donors and one of the biggest differences in for my days in political fundraising is i kind of called it hit and run major donor development (laughs) because there is no time to cultivate a relationship you meet someone and you know at the meeting you're asking them for you know at the time a you know $25,000 or $50,000 contribution and drive by uh, asking drive by asking there you go hit and run drive by yep Um, but does it have to be that way I just have to ask you I mean I know it is but does it have to be um, I think the nature of the political campaign cycle It does because you are, you have a self-imposed, I mean, you have a deadline, right. you, the election's going to happen. You have all the work that you need to do to you know, reach the, reach voters. Mm-hmm. And you also have quarterly um, <laughs> filings that you have to demonstrate that you are leading because you have the most money in the bank. So it's, <laughs> it is, it, there's a lot of pressure. <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing because I think all of us receive these email from uh, political campaigns right. uh, from both sides of the aisle. Uh, and especially around the end of the quarter where they say, can you please get because it's the end of the quarter. And if we did that in the nonprofit world, which you know so well, uh, I, I think people would say, well, I'm not interested in which quarter it is for you. I'm interested in the work and the front. So that's one of the things that must be an interesting transition for you, even though you've been doing this kind of work for a long time. So how have you navigated kind of that road too? Because it it worked very well, obviously, for for Governor Ridge and and for others. Sure, yeah. Well, I think, but I, I do think that in political fundraising, you still are, you're building a core group of supporters and um, you're, whether it's the governor's circle or the, you know, on a presidential campaign, whatever society it might be. So you are really, you are working to cultivate a group of of, uh, of donors that can help you all the way through. With some kind of loyalty. With some kind of loyalty. And then you also are, um, 
looking to find those people who can help you on the, the policy side and forming the you know, committees that will help inform your stances on the issues and things like that. So, you know, it's still relational in nature, which is really what uh, we're all doing in you know, serving the nonprofit, especially in the major donor space. It's all about relationships and how they, they get formed. So, so I think because I was focused on my political fundraising uh, on mostly major donor efforts, uh, we did, of course, we did direct mail and we had you know, lots of you know, smaller events, but for the most part, the work I did was all you know, event based major donor, which is really interesting because that's what I do today. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I look back on that time and I've always done events. Now I do them, we do them very differently sure. at West Hall Gold today. Um, but that was my early background in, um, in the, the political world anyway, doing doing event fundraising. Well, and I do want to talk about other things about your work, but I I do think it would be, even though we don't usually talk about um, products and services here, there there will certainly be people who aren't aware of how West Falkhold does the work it does. Mm -hmm. So would you mind giving us kind of a 30 second sketch about, about this event stuff? Because it's not your, it's, it's not your typical event. This is, this is a very different sort of animal. It is, it is really different. And um, it is, so our focus is working with a nonprofit to help them identify their highest capacity donors uh, that are not giving at their potential. So that starts with a wealth analytics process. We partner with Donor Search on that, and um, it goes from there. So then from from there, we're creating a weekend experience that they can bring their donors to, and really help. It. The biggest part of this is yes, there's an ask that goes along with this, and we have you know tremendous return on the the investment that the nonprofit makes but but even bigger than that what we're really doing is helping the donor understand the case so creating that case for support we are connecting the donor and building the trust they have with that organization and then building a community of donors and so that is those three pieces are really critical and what happens over the weekend to drive a donor as we talk about from giving a transactional gift to a transformational gift where they're investing in the vision of the organization and having a lot of fun over a three-day period, you know, hearing from great speakers and hearing great music and enjoying, you know, enjoying the experience. From an outsider's perspective, it sounds sort of like a customized TED event for a cohort of people who may not know one another, but all care about the same stuff. Exactly. And that's, that's, that's pretty that's amazing. Yeah. Um, Paul Edwards is a friend who works in this sector, talks about it a lot about how people have been able to raise millions of dollars in a single weekend, sometimes probably in excess of that. I'm probably understating. Yes. Yeah. So, so uh, I think our average right now is uh, $4.5 million uh, a weekend, um, which means, of course, in the world of averages, you have some that aren't hitting that and then right, some that are are hitting, you know, 16, 17, 18 million dollars in a weekend, um, which is incredibly exciting when you see a group of people come together and deeply invest in an organization to help them transform lives, the lives of people that they're working with. Right. And that's one thing is that uh, I know events can be sometimes um, transactional in nature, um, but if, if people have a chance to bond a little bit mm-hmm. and they feel like they're coming behind either a big project or a new initiative or major endowment or something of that nature and then they see one another engaging with it and they're engaging with speakers 
I would think that would allow them to feel a little less uh, like there was an extraction going on, but rather they were making an investment in something and they were at the beginning stages. It's sort of like a group of uh, early stage angel investors or something. Well, and I think, you know, I think what's what's really interesting too is and not just, we certainly talk about it in moving the donor from that transactional um, gift to the transformational gift, but that's what, when we, regardless of doing an event, you know, I think our philosophy really is that when you can bond with the donor and you can bring them into community with each other and you can help them deeply understand the case for support, you then earn the right to ask them for a gift that's a that's going toward the vision. And right. you can raise unrestricted dollars that way. Um, I think in, in our world of fundraising, we get, we get so um, focused on putting a project in front of a donor and saying, Mr. Donor, Mrs. Donor, can you do this for us? Right. How about going to them and saying, we know you care about this particular cause let us share with you how we are addressing this particular issue. Would you like to join us in making something beautiful happen in the world? Yes, and together. it's a very different message than, than putting, a, putting a proposal in front of somebody and asking them to fund a very specific item or initiative. Right. You still have to get people together in the same room. And yes, uh, that must have been challenging over this last little bit. But this, this isn't the one and only time we'll have trouble getting people together, whether it's, there's a, a, a terrible weather event or another potential uh, health crisis, there are reasons why people don't gather. So how, how have you, uh, both institutionally and personally, thought about ways to make sure that people can engage with one another in that kind of symbiotic way, even if we're sometimes prevented from all pulling up in the same parking lot? Right, yeah. Well, needless to say, this is the, this, you know, last 15, 16 months has been super challenging for, um, for us to, to get people to gather. But you know, actually I say that and, I'm, and that's, not, that's not really true. There have been, we've had held events uh, starting in the fall and in, this, in the spring and people have wanted to, to gather and we've been able to do that safely. Um, but I think what we also learned is that when you, when you have a group of donors who are committed to your cause that you have uh, either through one of the events that we do where you've done the cultivation with them that they want to they were accepting of getting together virtually and understanding that they are part of a bigger community so even with our clients that had um, in-person events and we had an extra uh, offered a, a virtual event we we were doing as much as we could to try to help them say even if you're sitting in your house by yourself, you are part of a bigger community. So we sent them an experience package so they could enjoy you know, while they were watching the virtual event or um, really help them understand what was happening on site so that they could, they could be a part of that because that community aspect is so hard to, to replicate when you actually can't be in community together, but people want that. They were really... Yeah, you know, we've all gone through that. We've, there's a hunger for There's contact. a hunger to be together. Yeah. Well, so now on on the personal front, yeah, is this one of your first trips? I mean, how long have you been traveling throughout? Or um, I didn't travel in the fall, um, although we did events uh, in the fall. Um, but uh, I have my, a family member with a chronic illness, and so I said, you know, this is not something that I want to do right now because I didn't want to risk having to bring something home to my daughter. Um, but 
I started traveling in the early spring and haven't been on the road as much as I you know, normally would be, but it, that first time was scary to be yeah. sure because it's like, oh, I have to actually get on a plane load of people. <laughs> Well, there's, there's that dimension when there's also, it's just different. I mean, if people, it's very different. if people haven't been physically around one another, even if there's a desire to, you know, take it out of fundraising, to just be together with family or whomever or friends, it's just, uh, how do we navigate the first handshake or hug? And that's different. It must be especially challenging if, if, if it's your daughter who, who has to be especially careful, not only you, but your daughter. What has that been like for your family? And not just as you go out and come back, but, mm-hmm. but for them to be probably at home and then have to re-navigate their entry into the world in an uncertain time. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of fear um, that goes along with that. And so it's, it's trying to sort through what's real, what do we really need to be concerned about, and how can we do things safely the, the really wonderful thing, I think, coming out of all of this is that people now are asking, are you comfortable with this? Uh, how can we make you comfortable? Yeah. As opposed to the way we all just assumed, like this illness didn't just happen during you know, the pandemic, right? This has been going on, right? So, but now people are, are so much more aware of how do you handle these situations? How do you make sure that everybody is comfortable? How do you make sure that whatever you're doing is accessible to everybody? Wow, and such a great point. Yeah, so I hope that never goes away. I hope that we really all still carry with us that feeling of that not everybody is feels always feels as comfortable in certain situations and that we need to make sure that you know we're, we're taking care of Everybody in the right. community, um, whether it's you know, because of a health issue or just uh, you know for whatever, whatever particular reason. Yes, in fact, that one of the reasons I mentioned the handshake and hug is because uh, some of us are huggers and some of us are not. Yes. I, mean, I grew up in Connecticut, so I'm you know uh, on the more reserved side, I guess right. I would say. Yes. Um, but I try to adapt because that's what we do in our field. We yes. adapt. But uh, but I'm so interested to hear you say that because as people talk about fundraising. Uh, and then thinking forward, having learned, hopefully, some of what we've experienced, one of those parts of adaptation or evolution um, is uh, it, it, inclusivity, meaning also accessibility. And you just talked about it in a way with packages that can go to people. So maybe it's because of a health reason or because of a travel restriction or geography or whatever it is. They, don't, they can't be there, don't want to be there. But it might also be other things. And in the physical events, I think for a long time, people have kind of brushed under the rug not with your events, but just events mm-hmm. in our sure. in our field, um, gender dynamics too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mentioned hugging for that reason. Not everybody wants to go up and just, you know, put a big kiss on the cheek for everybody right. else. So is this a chance for us to reevaluate how we relate to one another, not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of these organizations we care about? I, I think so. Uh, you know, I've seen that uh, just in my own, you know, personal interactions and, um, and at our events too. Um, but yeah, just speaking personally, I, I do think that um, having the experience that the dynamic that we have in our family, it has it has helped us to be able to say, this is what we need to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I think people now are saying like, you know, um, I have a friend who's a hugger, right? And right. so she used to go in for the hug every single time, right? And now 
she, she stops and she's like, would it be okay if I give you a hug? And then people feel like it's okay to say yes, yes or no. Right. And That's so we're different, giving people permission. permission. Yeah. This is really interesting because, um, you know, we talk about permission-based fundraising as if it's just a part of right. filling out forms online, but it's, it's deeper and richer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because it's everything. It's about how we define ourselves. I just saw something on a form recently where someone was listing, uh, not just uh, Mr. and Mrs. and Ms., but Miss. And a, a few of us were looking at that and thinking, when was this form designed? Not because some people don't refer to themselves in that way, but it did seem a little anachronistic. But then again, I guess, in theory, if you leave enough space, people can define themselves. They can define their physical space. They can define how they want to be involved with an organization. <laughs> but this must all be stuff that you've been dealing with professionally for a long time because in the political realm and the nonprofit fundraising realm, all those things are ones we, we often, at least I don't get the sense that we were talking about much, but it sounds like you're dealing with them every day. You bring a bunch of people together who are theoretically a cohort. Right. Well, that doesn't mean that they all relate to one another in the same way. So how, how have you been within the Westfall Gold context yeah. ensured that not only things have worked well because they have for your clients, mm-hmm. but as you think forward, what are the ways that you're trying to introduce um, some of these other concepts? Maybe the organizations you're working with haven't themselves thought through entirely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that that they have, and so then we can, you know, bring those things to the table right. and say, you know, how do we set up uh, this particular event? And, and right now, all of it has really been around safety issues and health, you know, sure. health concerns. Um, and I think that, that that's been the predominant conversation that we've had for a know, good at this reason. Point, and tried to say, mm-hmm. you know, just be careful, just understand um, that not everybody's at the at the same place. But I think there's an opportunity to carry that forward into you know just some other areas of this permission, like we're talking about, and people just really being just everybody being aware of um, different comfort levels and different. Um, Different behaviors. Yeah. yeah. What's the most fun part of this work for you? Oh my gosh, it's all fun. Um, <laughs> honestly, it oh, is. I wish uh, I heard that from everybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I love. I love what I do. Even the data analytics side of it, which actually I am kind of surprisingly a data nerd um, in a way. But um, I, I guess there's. There's just nothing better than extending that opportunity to uh, a group of individuals that uh, you know, certainly have capacity to make a difference for an organization, and then seeing them understand the vision for the organization and coming together, and then saying, you know what, I'm all in, and here's my contribution, here's my you know my commitment to this organization, and and do it do with it where. Where you use it where you most where it's most needed, as opposed to the, the, a restricted gift. But the most fun part of my job is on Saturday night when we get to open all the participation envelopes and we get to tell the organization, you know, your group of forty or fifty couples that have come together have committed four, five, ten, twenty million dollars to your organization. Like, there's nothing better than being able to tell the president how much money we just raised. It's that must really be a, an amazing celebration at the event, too, because it I'm is. sure you're telegraphing a lot of that to the crowd. Oh, we are. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's fun. How is this uh, then 
I mean, you're having so much fun at work. How do you have fun at home? <laughs> I'm not home a lot, but no. <laughs> well, when you're home, are you like, are you having big parties with the family too? Or are you pretty much tuckered out from, yeah. from the professional See, I kind of wear my family out because I, I'm in the right job. I love to be with people, whether it's having another couple over for dinner or it's, you know, going just been doing some kayaking lately which has been super fun oh, yeah. but um i'm not much for just kind of stay at home and and you know sure be on the you know keep it on the low low side i i'm, I'm always wanting to get together with people and so um i just been recently doing uh, some executive coaching and my coach was asking me to come up with my values and surprisingly okay. one of my values is uh well one is generosity another one is um community and being together with people so yeah i need to have people over for dinner and i wear my family out they're like do we have to do this again like of course we do it's so much fun <laughs> okay now you just mentioned a word that's really special because people define it so many ways mm -hmm. so if you don't mind what what do you mean when you say generosity and what form does it take for you in your life mm. that's, a great, that's a great question i mean most people are going to think about giving giving of their the, the, giving money. Um, for me, it's about living a generous life. And I def define that as whether that's, um, helping, helping a friend who's just in need of some extra support, um, being available to people, um, being generous with your time. And, um, lately I've been really looking, uh, looking at what does it mean to be a generous leader? And I'm just, I'm fascinated with the, with the concept of generosity and how it plays out and, and what it does in your life when you're the giver or when you're receiving it. And so it's something that I really am passionate about exploring and want to delve into more. And um, so, yeah, I think just, it's all just, Give what you can. It doesn't mean your money. It, it could just be your time. It can be how you interact with people. Um, so I have a pretty broad generation, pretty broad definition of what generosity means. Right. Uh, you know, it, and I imagine that even though you seem very calm, that you must be uh, impatient for progress, for success, for things to happen. Um, and people I've known who have been involved in events anyway have been both extremely disciplined and also somewhat... Uh, patient beneath the veneer of calm. So if any of that holds true for you, I wonder, are you as impatient about us moving the needle on generosity as you are with making that event happen and bringing in the money? Well, I think you hit it. I, a lot of people do comment on my calm exterior and I do bring a calm to, to what I do. I'm sure we're all grateful for that. <laughs> yes. It's kind of important when you have a person behind the scenes to be calm when there's something crazy going on. So, um, you know, I, 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 I do think that I am, but there's so much that could be done. And I know this kind of sounds Pollyannish probably, but it's just the, there's a lot of need in the world. And there's a lot of people who have the, in this case, the financial resources to, to make something great happen. And so unlocking that generosity, yeah, we need to keep going and we need to do it faster. And we need to be able to, to put, match the people with the resources with the people that have the need. And um, 
that's why I love being part of this and doing what I do because it's fun to see it when it happens and yeah, I wish it would happen quicker and I wish the world were instantly a better place, but I guess that's why we all do what we do because we have a chance to be a part of it. The Philanthropy Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions. Our producer is Jack Frost. Our theme music is Be My Remedy, composed and performed by House of Say. You can subscribe to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, webcasts, and CFRE accredited webinars with our featured masterminds at donorsearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.